was important to me and to Dennis and Logan as well that we uh, correct some mistakes that are out there in the press about Matt and his family and what happened. And I also wanted everyone out there who only knew him as Matthew to introduce them to my Matt. If we had not been in Saudi Arabia, if he had not been in Laramie, if, 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 could just drive a person insane. Those hate crimes, they exist everywhere. This has been my grieving process, and uh, I just don't want to disappoint Matt. I think that's really why I do it. Welcome to This Way Out, the international LGBTQ radio magazine. I'm Lucia Chappelle. Bulgarian punk derides pride but escapes hate charges. Washington Queer Youth Center fends off serial vandals. And Matthew's mom campaigns against hate. Those stories and more this week now that you've discovered This Way Out. I'm Joe Bainline. And I'm Tanya Kane-Perry. With News Wrap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBTQ communities around the world for the week ending October 14th, 2023. Bulgarian punk music star Melina Slavova is not guilty of discrimination for a social media post that became a far-right, anti-queer viral sensation. The Supreme Court ruled this week that Slavova's criticism of a Sofia LGBTQ pride march was not intended to harm the dignity of any specific person because of their sexual orientation. Her 2021 Facebook post said, Poor us, normal people, are already suffocating from the brazenness and flaunting of various perverts, and I don't apologize for my words. A discrimination complaint against the singer was filed by two activists and the group Desvia, or Action. The European Commission for Protection Against Discrimination had already ruled that Slavova was entitled to express what it deemed her personal opinion. Three Bulgaria Supreme Court magistrates agreed, according to the news site Euraktiv. As their ruling explained, Slavova does not have official public authority, nor does she seek to acquire one which would allow her to impose her opinion on the regulation of public relations, including holding LGBTQ parades. It's been a roller coaster for queer rights in the Balkan nation in recent years. Courts have rejected trans people's efforts to change gender on their legal documents after reassignment surgery. On the other hand, in July, Parliament added sexual orientation to the protected classes for hate crimes cases under the criminal code. Still in September, the European Court of Human Rights found Bulgaria's government in violation of European laws that require legal recognition for same-gender couples. A failed presidential candidate in France has been fined for condemning lesbian parenthood. Eric Zemmour ran afoul of the country's hate crime laws during a nationally televised 2019 interview. Lesbian couples and single women had just been granted access to artificial insemination and other fertility treatments. Zemmour ranted, This is about the whims of a tiny minority that controls the government and enslaves it for its own benefit and is going to disintegrate society because we will have children without a father. It's a catastrophe. And secondly, who is going to force all the other French people to pay for these whims. The offensive diatribe was quoted by LGBTQ Nation. 
The court decided the comments present a contemptuous image of the people they target, whose desire to have a child is reduced to a selfish whim. In this way, gay people find themselves denigrated in the eyes of the public because of who they are. Zimor was fined 4,000 euros, about 4,200 U.S. dollars. Along with the director of the interview program, he was also ordered to pay 3,000 euros to several LGBTQ organizations, plus 2,000 euros in legal costs. He's appealing the ruling. The French advocacy group Stop Homophobe filed the successful lawsuit against the far-right pundit and politician. Zemmour ran for president last year on an anti-Muslim, anti-immigrant platform that also included blatantly anti-queer rhetoric. He claimed 7% of the first-round vote. Ultimately, Emmanuel Macron was re-elected. Zemmour's words habitually land him on the wrong side of the law. He was sued last year by six queer rights groups for his book denying that LGBTQ people were among the victims of the Holocaust. He's been convicted twice for hate speech, according to The Guardian. He's appealing a third conviction handed down last year. All his 2022 presidential campaign got him was a copyright infringement conviction for using unauthorized film clips and newsreels. Zimor has compared transgender students advocating for rights to Nazis and condemned queer propaganda. He called a women's right to choose collective suicide. In the U.S. Northwest, Spokane, Washington's Odyssey Youth Movement has been vandalized four times in less than a month. Odyssey tries to provide a safe space for the area's LGBTQ young people with several outreach and support programs. It began in late September when a rainbow-colored footpath in front of the building was spray-painted with offensive graffiti. It's not known if the same vandals hit the facility three consecutive nights last week, this time, the rainbow footpath and the building signage were covered with paint and tar, and anti-queer slurs were spray-painted on the doors and windows. A neighbor's rainbow pride flag was torn down. Executive Director Ian Sullivan told local TV station KHQ about the impact of the crime spree. After we had cleaned up Odyssey's building and our sign, they spray-painted hateful words. Words meant to divide, to make people feel unwelcome, to make people feel afraid. The fact that this has happened now three nights in a row, um, and that it's these three nights happen less than a month after the initial vandalism as well. This is a pattern, this is repeat, uh, which is very intimidating to say the least and terrifying uh, to say the most. Spokane police officials are calling on citizens to contact them with any information that could help track down and prosecute the perpetrators. Read me a story, Stella tells the tale of Stella and her brother Sam, who learn about the joys of reading. Too bad the author's name is So Gay. Marie-Louise Gay, that is. That's why the Huntsville-Madison County Public Library in Madison, Alabama, banned it. The picture book is written and illustrated for kids aged five and younger. It wound up on the library's list of books pulled from the children's section because a rudimentary keyword check for sexually explicit content flagged the word gay. Kirsten Brassard speaks for Groundwood Books, Gay's publisher. She told the online news outlet AL.com, 
although it is obviously laughable that our picture book shows up on their list of censored books simply because the author's last name is gay, the ridiculousness of that fact should not detract from the seriousness of the situation. Broussard called the absurd classification a hateful message in a place like a public library where all children are meant to feel safe and where their curiosity about the world is meant to be nurtured. The library's executive director, Cindy Hewitt, confirmed that the book has been moved back to the children's section. She told AL.com, obviously, we're not going to touch that book for any reason. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis saw a three-judge panel of the 11th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals refuse to allow his state's drag show ban to be enforced this week. The fading Republican presidential hopeful's challenge to District Judge Gregory Purnell's injunction was flattened by a two-to-one majority of the generally right-leaning appeals court. Purnell had declared the ban on family-friendly drag performances a violation of First Amendment free speech rights. Federal courts in Tennessee and Texas have ruled similar drag bans unconstitutional. The panel sided with the Orlando location of Hamburger Mary's, the restaurant chain that hosts popular and usually sold-out drag brunches every week. The law levied substantial fines on venues hosting performances involving so-called sexual content with minors in the audience. Critics claim that its vague wording could be used to ban any costumed stage show, even cheerleading. Judge Purnell wrote, Protecting the right to freedom of speech is the epitome of acting in the public interest. Finally, the Australian state of New South Wales hosted its own drag story time on October 6th in the Parliament Building's Theaterette. Sydney-based drag stars Cassandra the Queen and Woody the Cowboy read from the children's book about a non-binary child. My shadow is purple. Cassandra was delighted by the success of the event, posting on social media, It creates an environment for kids and parents to have the usual story time, but with a little extra glitter, color, and fun. It also allows children to explore the concept of creativity, artistry, and self-expression. Best-selling Melbourne-based author Scott Stewart's book encourages kids to be true to themselves and accept who they are. In Cobb County, Georgia, USA, reading My Shadow is Purple to her Due West Elementary 5th grade class got teacher Katie Rinderley fired in June. Why? To start with, it begins, My dad has a shadow that's blue as a berry, and my mom's is as pink as a blossoming cherry. There's only those choices, a two or a one, but mine is quite different. It's both. And it's none. That's News Wrap, global queer news with attitude for the week ending October 14th, 2023. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community. News Wrap is written by Greg Gordon, edited by Lucia Chappell, produced by Brian DeShazer, and brought to you by you. Thank you. Help keep us in ears around the world at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast and much more. For This Way Out, I'm Joe Bainline. Stay healthy. And I'm Tanya Kane perry Stay safe. Our listeners support This Way Out in many ways. By subscribing to our e-newsletter. 
email us at info at thiswayout.org. And through your financial contributions to our program. More information about how you can give is online at thiswayout.org. Thank Thank you. you. Hola amigos, this is Luis Alfaro, performance artist, playwright. This is Monica Palacios, Aztec God, Fajita Combo. You're listening to This Way Out, the international lesbian and gay radio magazine. Last time on This Way Out, in what appears to have been an anti-gay hate crime, the 5 foot 2 inch, 105 pound shepherd had been severely beaten, burned, and tied to a fence post in near freezing temperatures last Wednesday outside Laramie, Wyoming. The murder of Matthew Shepard in October 1998 became an iconic turning point in the drive for hate crimes legislation in the U.S. Shepard's mother, Judy, became a powerful force behind that movement. The Matthew Shepard and James Byrd Jr. Hate Crimes Prevention Act became law in October 2009, but a mother's work is never done. A month later, she visited Eric Jansen on Out in the Bay. My guest lived through a horrendous ordeal that quickly became a painful point in our history. Her son, a 21-year-old college student, was beaten, tied to a fence post, and left to die on the outskirts of Laramie, Wyoming in October 1998. The image was seared into the minds of millions in America and worldwide, especially the minds of gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender people, because Matthew Shepard was gay. But less than a year after his tragic death, before both of his murderers were even sentenced, Matt Shepard's mother began speaking out publicly and has since become a leader in our country's gay rights movement and in a larger movement to erase hate and violence. She's here to speak with us about her loss, her activism, and her book, The Meaning of Matthew, My Son's Murder in Laramie and a World Transformed. Judy Shepard, thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you, Eric. Sometimes it's a little hard to know where to begin. It's such a, such a painful subject. But I want to write, ask you first, why did you write this book? You must have had to revisit a lot of pain in order to write it. You know, we thought it was going to be really hard, and parts of it were. Um, but it was important to me and to Dennis and Logan as well that we uh, correct some mistakes that are out there in the press uh, about Matt and his family and what happened. And I also wanted um, everyone out there who only knew him as Matthew to introduce them to my Matt Um, I wanted him to be more to them than a one-dimensional photograph or an article in the paper. He was a real person who had a family and friends. Um, He had a life before that night. He was found tied to the fence. What are some of the biggest misconceptions you think people have about Matt? One, that he was this angelic child who was, uh, you know, perfect in every way. Totally not the truth. He could actually be quite annoying sometimes. Um, But he was uh, funny. He was smart, uh, loved people. Um, very interested in public service, politics, um, loved to perform. He loved the theater, meeting people. He was very involved in the world all around him. But he had issues. You know, he struggled with depression. 
and he smoked uh, too much and was a 21-year-old college student who drank too much and didn't study enough, much like his mother. Uh, and it was a, you know, he just was a young man in search of his life, like everybody else. And it also seemed like, uh, from reading your book, that at the time he was he was dealing with some pretty deep issues, and he was seemed like he was getting it getting it back together. That's what we thought. We thought the move to Laramie was going to be really positive for him. He had uh, friends and was familiar with the town, and it seemed like maybe he was on the road to recovery from his assault in Morocco. So that was we all had very high hopes. Now, the assault in Morocco you just mentioned, he was raped when he was uh, 17 years old in, in Morocco, and right. he was a, a, like a foreign exchange student? Well, we were living in Saudi Arabia at the time. They had no American high schools, so he had to go to a boarding school, uh, as did his younger brother. Matt chose to go to a school in Switzerland, and they were on a senior trip uh, to Morocco. There were seven or eight of them that went together, um, and he was uh, raped by uh, a handful of locals, three or four. Um, they were never found. The police there worked with Matt to try to find who it was who had attacked him. But his whole uh, perspective on life changed after that assault. He was very much um, he was very much the victim after mm-hmm. that. It was in his attitude. It was in his uh, gait, the way he carried himself. Um, he struggled deeply with nightmares and anxiety and uh, and depression after that. And when everyone else had gone to bed, he still wanted to go out and. Yeah, meet he, people he by was, himself. He was always a very restless nature and uh, and loved to socialize, um, even when he was very small. It was not ever time to go to bed. It was always time to chat. So it was just part of his makeup. It's just the way he was. Sounds like he had an awful lot of energy. He had a lot of energy. You made new friends through the process of becoming an activist. So tell us about that transformation in you, overcoming your public shyness, uh, your distrust of the media. I get from your book that you're still a very private person, yet here you are now on a national speaking tour. You've been speaking for the past uh, 10, 11 years almost. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, I was an introvert off the scale on the infamous Meyer-Briggs personality test. Um, I just had to overcome that because the message became more important than my my comfort level. Your own discomfort. Yeah, exactly. But it, it was, you know, once I actually started doing it, it was really, it wasn't as bad as you might think. Uh, I wasn't selling anything. I wasn't relating, you know, facts exactly. It was my story. And it became like talking to my friends in my living room, telling my story. So uh, the public speaking part wasn't so hard. The media was always difficult. You have very um, well-educated, well-informed media people, and you have those who are not so much, who don't do any research, and, and that's a very uncomfortable interview to do. How does this make you feel? Well, duh. It makes me feel like crap. Um, I'm mad, I'm sad, I'm I'm heartbroken. Uh, what a stupid question. Some of the most touching parts in the book for me were when you talk about having a hard time being in public, uh, for example, at, um, I believe it was uh, the first news conference that Dennis held before Matthew's memorial. Is that mm-hmm. right? Matthew was the type of person that if this had happened to another person, would have been the first on the scene to offer his help, his hope, and his heart to the family. And you, were, right. you decided you had to go up and stand by him even though you weren't going to speak. Right. And you started to cry, and you were fighting all you could to hold back your tears because you didn't like the fact that uh, the AP reporter said Judy stood by his side holding back tears. Right. And you felt that made you weak or somehow. It did. And it also made me realize that what they were concentrating on was not the facts of the story, but the emotions coming from the heartbroken parents. And I just, I felt like when the cameras started going crazy, when the tears start to flow, that they're not out there for the story. They're out there 
for the emotion that they can wring out of whoever they're interviewing. Mm-hmm. I guess they think it makes the story more interesting to the reader. I, I disagree. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was it became a, a you know a, a a decision of mine to try to not ever do that in public. And I can't always mm-hmm. keep it in, but mm-hmm. I try really hard because I want people to listen to what I have to say, not worry about my emotional health. Hello, I'm Dennis Shepard, Matthew Shepard's father. And you're listening to This Way Out, the international radio show for all our sexually diverse communities. My name is Eric Jansen. My guest is Judy Shepard, the author of The Meaning of Matthew, My Son's Murder in Laramie, and A World Transformed. I want to ask you about forgiveness. You and Dennis both, in the book and uh, in his closing statement to the court at Aaron McKinney's sentencing, one of his murderous sentencing, mentioned the guilt that you felt over things you might have done differently. And I just wonder if any of that remains or if you've been able to fully forgive yourselves and maybe even Matt for some of his behaviors that you thought perhaps might have put him in situations of danger at different times in his life. You know, you can beat yourself up forever with the what-ifs. We've tried really hard to move away from that. We all felt, Logan and Dennis and I, that we were in a really good place with Matt when we lost him. None of us had parted with him on on bad words. There was no anger. There was a really good, close feeling among the family when we did lose him. Uh, He and I had had angry words a few days before, but we had spoken since and took care of all of that. Uh, I let him know how much I loved him, and he returned how much he loved me. Um, So we all felt like we were in a good place with him. If we had not been in Saudi Arabia, if he had not been in Laramie, if, 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 could just drive a person insane. We just, we just can't deal with that. It isn't what happened. Um, so we just, we just try to move on. And as far as forgiveness for McKinney and Henderson, they're Matt's killers. I mean, it seems like insane to ask that question. And yet, um, do you believe anything in McKinney's defense team story that his own sexual abuse as a child contributed in any way to this rage that he took out on Matt? You know, it doesn't matter if I believe it or not. Um, It doesn't excuse anything he did that night. Uh, They both, those young men, had horrible childhoods, horrible family life. doesn't excuse what they did that night. It's not a a mitigating factor. They made many, many conscious decisions uh, that night to continue their assault on Matt and leave him there and continue to leave him there. Forgive them. They've not, either one of them, shown any kind of remorse for what they did to Matt. They feel remorseful for where they are, but not for what they did to Matt. Do we need to forgive them? It's really not on my radar. I blame society equally, if not more, for creating the environment that made them think it was okay to do that to Matt. Our goal now is to change that. So tell us about the Matthew Shepard Foundation. Well, we we started it, um, actually we incorporated in Wyoming on Matt's birthday, December 1st, 1998. Um, when Matt was in the hospital and soon after he had passed in those lovely cards and letters, many people sent um, small donations to try to help us with medical bills. Well, we didn't we didn't want to use their money for that. So we uh, we knew we wanted to help young people. We thought we could use this money to make something positive come from something really so negative. And um, we knew we wanted to help young people. What it has morphed into now is... Two websites, MatthewShepard.org and MatthewsPlace.com. MatthewsPlace.com deals with age group from probably 12 to 20, uh, where we have lists of resources and news and information, entertainment, interviews, uh, to keep them informed and up to date on the movement, uh, what they can do to help. And also, we try to impart a sense of history 
And I think it's really important that we not forget where we came from and how we got where we are now. So much has been sacrificed by so many. So uh, we just try to keep them connected to, to the movement and to themselves and to each other. And the other website, MatthewShepard.org, is basically information about the foundation. MatthewShepard.org, not MatthewShepardFoundation.org. Right. MatthewShepard.org. Okay, and the other one is MatthewsPlace.com. Right. You've spoken in small towns, rural areas, I suppose, and big cities uh, across the country over the past 10 years. I'm curious to know what your perceptions are of these different towns. I think we have this sense here in San Francisco and California and New York, you know, the coasts. We feel like the middle of the country can't possibly um, be as open-minded as we are. What do you, is that true? Um, is that a stereotype? Yes and no. Harmful? It's kind of the stereotype. Uh, what really makes the difference, I think, is the size of the population. Even the interior California, the smaller towns, you'll find the same bias and bigotry that you'd find in uh, Michigan or Wyoming or New Mexico, uh, any state, any area where there aren't a lot of people, especially a gay community, you're going to find that, that bias and that bigotry exists. But if you think that you're safe in San Francisco just because it's California or it's San Francisco, that, you know, that's not even true. Um, those hate crimes, they exist everywhere. Why is hate crimes legislation so important? Well, we know it's not going to prevent crimes because if laws prevented crimes, you wouldn't have prisons. Uh, but what it does send is a message of respect to the nation as a whole that the government recognizes that hate crimes committed against the gay and lesbian community do exist in great numbers, and we need to address it, and we need tools to help solve the problem. Um, and if I recall in your book, there was some mention of uh, the fact that if there had been hate crime laws in Wyoming, you opted to go with their plea bargains, partly right. because it would have been it would have drained the county's money to have in a trial. They wouldn't oh, get any right. help from the federal government for right. the extra money it would have cost to go through a, a full-on murder trial. That's true, and they uh, they had to furlough uh, four employees for the one trial um, because there just was no money in the budget to take care of the investigation in this expanse of the trial. In your epilogue, you say that the most common question you get after you speak publicly is, how do you do it? And I think you said you're not sure why people ask that or know what they expect to get from you. I think that it brings up people's own personal pain. We all have pain in our lives. It may not be as severe as the loss you've had, but I think it, for me, it's like, wow, if she can live through this, then certainly I can live through whatever pain is troubling me. I guess we look to you as an example, perhaps. You know, it's it's been my survival. This has been my grieving process. And uh, last night, someone asked me that question, and and I answered, I just don't want to disappoint Matt. I think that's really why I do it. Thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you sharing your story. Thank you. I want to thank my guest, Judy Shepard, author of The Meaning of Matthew, My Son's Murder in Laramie and A World Transformed and also president of the Matthew Shepard Foundation. You can find out more at matthewshepard.org. That last name is spelled S-H-E-P-A-R-D. And also uh, more information at matthewsplace.com. I'm Eric Jansen. Thanks for listening. You can find Eric Jansen's entire 2009 interview with Judy Shepard at outinthebay.org. Hate crimes are on the rise today. Murders of transgender women of color rank high on the list, along with anti-Semitic and Islamophobic violence.
Thanks for choosing This Way Out, brought to you by the nonprofit Overnight Productions. News Wrap was reported this week by Joe Bainline and Tanya Kane Perry and produced by Brian DeShazer. Our correspondent was Eric Jansen. The Kinks and Melissa Etheridge performed some of the music you heard, and Kim Wilson composed and performed our theme music. This Way Out thanks the Jane and Deborah Cluey Charitable Fund and Richard Merck and Brad Payton of Silicon Valley. Listener donors like them make this program possible. Ask us for more information. Look for This Way Out Radio on social media, email us at info at thiswayout.org, or write to us at P.O. Box 1065, Los Angeles, California, 90078, USA. For coordinating producer Greg Gordon and everyone at This Way Out, I'm Lucia Chappelle. Thanks for listening online at thiswayout.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And on KMUN, Astoria, Oregon, WCRX, Chicago, Illinois, 3 ECB, Croydon, Victoria, and a wide array of community terrestrial and internet radio stations around the world, including this one. Stay healthy, stay safe, and stay tuned, y'all.